Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to a very special edition of The Last Word on Spurs. Trying to contain ourselves here. If you listened to The Last Word on Spurs during the lockdown period, you would know that we were having the pleasure of interviewing many, many ex-Spurs players. And to be fair, again, I said this during lockdown, the guest we've got with us tonight, I don't think it's any bigger than the name we're about to unveil who we've got on The Last Word on Spurs. But before I introduce him, I'm pleased to have alongside me a very excited John from Lily White Rose. John, how are you? I thought you were introducing me there for a second, Rick. No, mate, I'm so excited for tonight, mate. This is a, you know, an absolute honour to share a platform with this man. I'm sure our fans have waited a long time to hear from from this man of you know all his great achievements at Tottenham, different people he worked under and the different players he played with. He was a real Tottenham legend and I'm just looking forward to, as much as the listeners will, hearing from the great man himself. Yep, agree. Well, come on, it's time to unveil the man we've got. Over 300 appearances for Spurs, 
nearly with us for over a decade. Unbelievable. League Cup winner, scoring against Chelsea. Of course, part of teams that were beating Arsenal. You've got to love him for those reasons alone. Delighted to welcome to the last word on Spurs, Michael Dawson joins us. Mike, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, guys. And thank you for having me. Oh, Mike, the pleasure is all ours. Listen, Mike, we've noticed, and you can't help but notice this, and we've tracked your career since, obviously, you broke through to the Spurs team. We haven't seen you do many interviews since, which is why I've got to say to you, Mike, it's an absolute honour and a privilege that you've given us this platform to be able to share, really, your Spurs journey, looking back on some memorable times. And that's kind of what it is for us as family growing up. You know, you were part of giving us so many wonderful moments, memories. And we're going to try and relive some of those in this next hour and a bit with you, Mike. Because to be fair, if we go back to the beginning, or should we just say kind of a summary, you made 324 appearances for Spurs, playing under four separate managers, captain the club, played your part in the run-up to the last trophy we won in the 2008 League Cup, and probably seen the growth of the club more than any others. But... We're going to start, Mike, if you don't mind, by rewinding the clock back to when you were just 14, signed by Nottingham Forest, having played for North Allerton Juniors. Tell us, Mike, for you, what was that like at that time? And did you always want to be a footballer following your older brothers, Andy and Kevin, into the professional game? Yeah, I mean, Rick, it's, it's one of those. Uh, I've been in and around football for my dad. My dad was at Man United from uh, a young age at 14 till 16 and then broke his leg and went out the game. Uh, and I've just always, from ever this, ever I could walk, I would have a football beside me. I'd be out in the garden with obviously like Kevin, Andy, that you say. And being the youngest of a three, you always want to be like your older brothers. And and I was no different. And it was like you say, playing in the garden, playing for North Allerton Town, playing for your school, and then and then your dream sort of starts when I I, I went to Forest uh, probably at the age of ten. That's when it started and signed at fourteen. And Andy was five years older than me, so he was he was there as full time, and I was still at school. And then at sixteen, I moved down full time, and and my career just progressed dramatically in in a really short space of time from then. And I was in the first team with within two years, and you know I, I was living living the dream of every every young lad, and I still realise I'm living the dream and I speak to the young lads all the time saying look take this opportunity because in my opinion playing football on a daily basis where you get paid you're going out for a kick around with your mates you're keeping fit you're doing the best job in the world and you've got to appreciate that alone comes a lot of pressure which you have to deal with but look everything comes with pressure if you're at the highest level and you're there to be uh, you'd be targeted at so I've always been appreciate appreciated it at 36, I still love it. And, you know, and, and while I have that, I still believe I've, I can offer something to, to the team. Michael, you made your first team debut for Forest on the 1st of April 2002 against Walsall. And as you said, you then went from strength to strength in that Forest side. You were quickly rewarded with a new five and a half year deal. And there's one player I must ask you about, and that was Des Walker. You were sort of forming a partnership with, with him at the back. He was sort of at the end of his career, whereas you were at the, the forefront of yours. How much sort of did you learn off Des, and was that a real experience for you? Look, Des was was incredible, and it, it was it was one of those. Going back to my debut, it was it was a bizarre situation. It was I think we played away at Gillingham at the weekend, and Ricky Skimmicker had, had played, um, and Ricky was ill, and there was me. Kev was two and a half years older than me. And it was it was a little bit bizarre because we went in. Um, I think it was Easter Monday or. Or whatever, and the, the manager Ricky was ill, and so I thought oh, I'd play my brother because we were both sent halves. You know, Kev being two and a half years older, he 
Paul Art put, put me in and Kev was on the bench. Mum and Dad had come down to watch the, watch the game because it, uh, it was a bank holiday. So it was bizarre that I actually made my dad debut and, and Kev was on the bench. So it was, it was one of those where f- for a family, Mum and Dad coming to watch, they'd probably expected to see Kev play and, and I ended up making my debut and it was... It, it, it was it was bizarre that Kev was on the bench, but we we're a really close knit family, and he wished me wished me all the best. And I went out and performed. I think we we I think did we I think we lost the game, but I got man of the match. I got booked. It was I was involved in everything uh, and playing alongside Desi from probably the next season. I think it was that's when I really kicked on playing 35, 36 games. We ended up in, in the playoffs. So, but Des. As a, a young 18-year-old, and I look to young 18-year-olds now and think, wow, was the centre-half how young I was to be playing at first team, team, team level, albeit in, in, the, in the championship. And I remember Don Goodman playing up front, and I still, when I still see him now at games, I speak about, Don, you were playing, playing against you as he was a lot older. But them dreams of, look, I used to watch Forrest from the age of and 9 and 10 with, with Brian Clough and players that were in the Premier League, Pierre Van Oydon, Brian Roy, and then to be walking out the tunnel, like I say, is the buzz and excitement. You don't really have that pressure until you've you're established yourself probably 18 months down the line and you're being linked with Premier League clubs and then everyone's expecting you to carry the team at the age of probably 19, 20. And you're thinking, I'm still only a young lad, but you've got all this pressure on your shoulder. And that's when you really have to uh, develop yeah. as a, an individual and, and deal with these these kind of pressures. Mike, you already kind of alluded to this point, but in your second season with Forest, you really did cement yourself in the starting eleven as Forest finished in the playoff positions. Unfortunately for you, you were sent off towards the end of the first leg v Sheffield United and subsequently missed the second leg. How much, Mike, for you was that a blow so early on in your senior career? Ah, uh, it was it was massive, absolutely massive. You think you'd worked all season to get to. But if you realise the dream of getting into the Premier League, because in my in my opinion, the Premier League is the best league in the world. It's where every player wants to be. And when you get the opportunity, you're in a semi-final. And look, I was naive. I was young. I was eager. You're trying to impress. I mean, look, some of the tackles I made when I was I was at Forest and then obviously moved to Spurs in my earlier days were, were rash. They were trying to be too eager. I think probably since after my 30s, I've probably come a little bit more calmer and don't make them tackles. Probably because I've got... A, a little bit slower and what have you but nowadays you can't tackle anyway but yeah from then it was like it was heartbreaking I remember walking down the tunnel in tears and thinking look if we get to Wembley I think it might have been at the Millennium actually the, the final then but in the second leg uh, and obviously Forrest missed out we lost to Sheffield United so it was uh, after such a good season it was a major major low for, for me personally to miss out on the second leg of the semi-final and obviously not getting a chance to, to go up because Sheffield United uh, beaters. Your form that year, though, did earn you a lot of England under twenty-one recognition. How was that as an experience? And sort of, what are your memories of those first England call-ups? And and who else was playing with you in those squads? Well, it's bizarre. Really. I think I probably only played fifteen games or something. And you, I always remember watching England at twenty-one, and you see like your Joe Cole, Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe, Michael Carrick, Gareth Barry, uh, Jolyon Lescott, Titus Bramble, players that. Francis Jeffers and, and these these kind of players I was like wow these are established Premier League players I'm thinking I'm going to go in after 15-20 games uh, as, a, as a player that does anyone know how they're going to take to you but look the lads were absolutely fantastic I walked through the door and and I trained it was David Platt who was manager at the time and he was he, he was great and I just just took and like I say you, you go there with an excitement and a buzz and, and no pressure you just go and express yourself and I say to any young lad who comes and trains whether he was at Forest or Hull or, or Spurs, 
take this chance. Come and come and make first team players know who you are. Perform at a good level and be made, be be noticed. And and I was no different. And that's what obviously gave me the chance when we go on to Spurs in a little while. That I trained and uh, took people with with obviously showing what I could do, and I got the opportunity. I think that's might might definitely you could say from you watching you as a player, you, you could see that you enjoyed every moment and you gave us everything, which I think is why fans, Spurs fans, I mean, you must know, Mike, just how much you are loved and adored. I don't know if you do, because, I mean, I, I tell you what, you're, everyone still talks about Michael Dawson, Spurs. We're gutted we didn't have a chance to say goodbye to you. We're going to come on to that. I'm already getting into the mix of it. But I've got to just go back to Forrest, Mike, and ask you that during your third year with Forrest, Spurs legend Joe Kinnear took over as manager. What was he like to work with, Mike? Because he seems quite an exuberant character. I mean, tell us what it's like to play for the man and work under him. Yeah, Joe was... Do you know what? With me, he was perfect. I mean, I had a lot of recognition and teams were being linked and you're thinking, where's he going to go? He was fantastic with me. He was a proper old school uh, geezer. Uh, he came in and he, he lit the place up. We'd been in a, in a bad run. And he sort of got us back. We had, we had some senior heads and... They helped the young because we did have we did have a lot of academy graduates who were in and around the first team. So you need senior heads. It's it's no different. You always need those senior heads to guide the young lads. But Joe was Joe was good, obviously. And then uh, his time didn't last too long. You know the the size of Nottingham Forest as a football club. It's been 22 years since since we've been in the Premier League. And like I say, in my opinion, it is the best league in the world. And every team in England, you want to be there. You want to be playing against them the best players you want to be going to the top grounds the top stages and that atmosphere is just it's, it's electric and like I say I'm, I'm thankful that I've had uh, some amazing years in the Premier League and, and loved every minute of it Michael on the 31st of January 2005 you finally did get your move to a big Premiership club and, and that was Tottenham you joined alongside Forest teammate Andy Reid in a uh, reported joint £8 million double move how did you first hear about Spurs' interest and which yeah. other club were in for you at the time? I presume Reedy joining as well did help you settle in. And sort of how close a friend was he to you at the time? And, and is he still a friend now? Yeah, I mean, look, Reedy, we, we'd come, Reedy was a couple of years above me. So he'd been in the youth team. You know, I, uh, I'd been linked with Charlton. I mean, Gary Mason was manager at the time and he, he was trying to get me to West Brom so he could bring Darren Moore in a, uh, an established championship centre-half. And, and then my agent called saying, look, Spurs want to sign you. They want to do a deal with you and Reid. And I was like, wow, what a, what a dream this is. Uh, but I was carrying a stress fracture in my shin at the at the time. So, like you say, we came down. We were sat in the hotel around the corner. Clubs agreed. Went for a medical. Um, like, look, we, we knew we had, I had the injury. So I had to uh, be patient, which was, was a real, real hard time for me. Look, Reedy hit the ground running. He was training with the lads and I was one of them in... in uh, treatment room and you've just been signed you, you you want to get out on the training pitch you want to show the lads what what you're all about you want to show the manager albeit I was probably one for the future Frank Arneson signed me and he was in that period that the players are looked at were players for the future you look a few months after I think Tom Aaron uh, players and but we all just hit the ground running in, in, in certainly in my uh, in my second season I came back played five or six games towards my end of my, my first season. Then, like I said, my second season was just one that made me uh, a real Premier League player, a real Tottenham player and, and real part of it, knowing that I could play at that level. And, you know, I was I was fortunate to have great people around me that, that helped me. 
Mike, at the time you signed for Spurs, we were managed by Martin Yol. And in a lot of those interviews with, with ex-players, we mentioned kind of over lockdown, they seem to suggest that Frank Arneson was the guy that kind of took care of the transfers. Was that the same for you, your recollection, when you were there at that time, when you were signed? Yeah, definitely, Rick. I mean, Frank was brilliant. Frank was brilliant for me. Of course, any, anybody who signs this football club the size of Spurs, and you, you get, it's, it's a dream move. Uh, so I was always appreciated. I, I was like, look, always said thank you for signing me, giving the opportunity and of the career I had. Um, you know, but then when I did get the opportunity, like I said earlier, when I trained with that first team, I made sure I was noticed. I give everything, 110%. And we went to Liverpool. Uh, we'd, we'd have probably three or four injuries. And I remember Martin saying, Dorsey, you ready? I was like, yeah. I'm ready, <laughs> you know, and where you hope you're ready. And it was one of them. He, he chucked me in. He goes, go out and express yourself. And like I say, I was, I had so much excitement, so much of a buzz to get that first Premier League appearance. And we went there and we drew. And I had a great, great game. Um, I was very fortunate to play alongside an absolute legend in, in Ledley, who, who I love. And I would definitely not have had the Spurs career I had if I didn't have Ledley beside me, for sure. I've got to ask you quickly, Mike, before John comes in, just on Arneson, um, he mentioned, obviously, at the time of you signing that you're a great prospect, you've captained the under-21s, and outside of your obvious playing talents, you've got the leadership quality in your personality. For you, because of, obviously, what was made big at the time with Frank leaving the club for Chelsea, Mike, what was the relationship between Martin and Frank? Did you ever see that coming, that there would be that departure there? Did it surprise you as much, or was you not that closely connected? Because, like I say, you're a player, it's a staff member. Can you remember back at the time what that was like when he left the club and the relationship between the two yeah I mean look they obviously had a, a good relationship and then Frank left um, you know so it probably was I, it, it doesn't stand out to me how, how it was at the time because I was probably concentrating on my, myself in getting as getting fit and getting out there but obviously Frank bringing me in uh, and speaking and helping while I was injured and settling in the area where you don't know at the age of 21 I think that's something that you've got to give players time uh, especially the foreign lads coming to England. But f regarding Frank and, and Martin, I didn't really know that if there was an issue or anything like that, it's, it's hard to, to comment on that. And what were your sort of first impressions, Michael, of, of Spurs as a club when you arrived, sort of training facilities and, and London as a whole? And at one point you just touched on when you said that, you know, the club sort of help a, a young pro that, that's moved down to maybe settle into the area. Could you tell us as fans, because we don't often hear this story, how that actually works? You know, did Tottenham put a player liaison officer? Could you talk to us about that? Alan's the um, the liaison guy. And, and and you really need them at football clubs. And especially when you don't know the area. So I lived in Repton Park for six months and then I, I bought a house in, in Epping. But that time of settling in, being happy and having a nice house to go to, being settled, be relaxed, because you have an awful lot of time on your hands and... And I found that hard for the first three or four months being injured. My girlfriend and wife now, but girlfriend at the time then, hadn't moved down from Nottingham. So you you are home alone. But look, let me tell you, Robbie Keane was, was someone who, still absolute legend, first day went out, took us out for a meal, me and Reedy. He knew Reedy anyway from his island connections. But for myself, for him to take me out, I was just like, wow, this is Robbie Keane, absolute legend. He's taking me, who signed from a championship club. You know, and it, it just took to me, we hit it off and like I said, I was always grateful for that kind of thing. And you try and help the young lads and went for food and, and made me really feel part of it straight away, although I wasn't playing. So that was that was something that still stands out to me and I still speak to Robbie, Robbie now. Mike, 
You made your debut, as you mentioned, only a couple of minutes ago in a battling 2-2 draw at Anfield. Probably more widely remembered for a goal from our left-back at the time, Eric Edmund. <laughs> I mean, God, we had actually had Eric on this show with us during lockdown. And it was incredible because Eric said he'll never score a goal like that again in his life. I'm sure you might not be on the field again for that kind of goal. Cause it was just simply absolutely incredible. But what were your memories? You already touched upon them playing alongside Ledley. That feeling of coming out at the tunnel at Anfield as a Tottenham player, a Premier League player, looking to your left and seeing 3,000 of those Spurs fans cheering you on. What was going through Michael Dawson's mind? What was your body like, Mike, in that game? Just absolute buzzing. I remember morning he named the team and I was in it and I phoned my mum and dad and said, like, they were coming to... Uh, to watch the game anyway, um, and just like look, I'm starting, and I'm sure their their hearts and stomach had the the buzz that I had because to, to see the sun obviously playing and and like I say that the place going to Manfield anyway, it's a great place to play football. The atmosphere is just incredible, and and like you say with Eric scoring that goal, it's just like wow, is it this wonder thing? It's got dip on it, everything, and and, and to get there a, a two two draw was 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 a good result. Look, it'd been been a while since Spurs had been there and got a result like that. So, three thousand fans, and from obviously from a, a personal point of view, to get your first first Premier League debut, your debut for Spurs, and get a good result. So, all in all, I went home. I was absolutely buzzing, but I went back to my flat and I just wanted to be with mates, my family, and have that. And that's something that you, you still, when you do, you, we flew back to to London and you go back to your flat and you. You're at home and thinking, look, something that you've achieved, and that was for me the the biggest buzz ever. And you you get into bed, you're lying there, the program. It's just really exciting times for any young lad, and you've got to try and enjoy that. You you really do because you're blinking, and in a second, your career has has gone past you. So it was certainly a special uh, a special day in my uh, in my Spurs career. We finished ninth that season. We just missed out on the top seven and a place in Europe, but there did seem a sort of genuine positive atmosphere around the club and excitement in the squad of the young British players like yourself we had and how Martin Yol was doing. How did you as the players sort of feel things were going at that point? Yeah, I mean, look, from the outside, I'd signed the, the January before 2005 and it was, look, in that season, we'd, we'd had a good season, very positive and you, you could see progression. And then the year after, it was just like, wow, we've got into Europe. Uh, just missing out, obviously, on uh, on the Champions League. But what Martin Yol Yol did, we had a togetherness. There was England internationals in the squad. We had whenever you went behind, you always believed you could come back and win the game. And we showed a real hunger and determination. And and the lads were getting the recognition. And like I say, just to miss out in in the way we did was just just absolutely heartbreaking. It was it was just yeah, you can't even go there, can you? We might have to go there, Mike. I'm so sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Only because we've got you on here, Mike. Obviously, we might not have to go there, but now you're here, mate. We might have to go there at some point during this show. Mike, the 2005-2006 season, you really stamped your mark in this Spurs first team, often alongside the great Ledley. Can you tell us, Mike, what that was like, that experience? You already kind of touched upon it, playing alongside Ledley. What did you learn from the guy? What sort of man is he away from football? And also, we have to remember, he's now back at the club in a yeah. first-team coaching role alongside Jose Mourinho. Talk to us about Ledley King. What was it like for you, Mike, playing alongside him and the character of the man? Absolute dream. I was I was one lucky lucky player to, uh, to play alongside him, the, the relationship we had. And I, I go back to the the day I signed and the, the first game, I remember sitting in the director's box and watching uh, Spurs play Portsmouth 
and Ledley played, I can't remember who he played alongside. I was watching the game thinking, wow, this game's too easy for, for Ledley King. He was an absolute Rolls-Royce. I'm thinking, how am I going to play in the Premier League? But like I said earlier, he helped me dramatically. He was so calm. As a captain, he was quite quiet, quietly spoken. He very rarely got angry. But when he played, he just brought calmness. He was an absolute Rolls-Royce. And, and it still breaks me to think the pain he played through with his knee... Because for the first five years I was there, he was he was definitely one of the best centre-backs in England, for sure. Do we realise, sure. Mike, I've got to ask you, mate, do we realise how bad that was as fans? I mean, was it literally that he could not train during the I don't week? think... It, look, Rick, I don't think any fan realises what the majority of players go through. They yeah. play with... They, they go through yeah. pain. They, they play, they're playing yeah. this times when players don't perform and they're going, mm. if only they knew, like... Look, we've all done it. You don't want to pat on the back. No, yeah. But for Ledley, it was like... For five years, he's obviously had the problems, but towards the end of his career, it was heartbreaking. He, yeah, I mean, there was times when him and Woody had been playing, and he'd go to me, Dawson, I'm struggling today, just be ready. Like, and I'm thinking, and I was that kind of character, look, Ledley and Woody, great, great lads, great players. Uh, and I just always felt for Les maybe coming out on a Thursday, and he'd be struggling, and the pain he went through to to play, only he knows. And, and like I say, being a player... We, we've all played with it, but to, to Ledley's extent, and, and for him to retire so early in his career, it was it was still sad for me to see a player of his calibre, world class, absolute legend of a guy, uh, and rightly so, back at the football club and, and working with Jose now. So fantastic, great, great to see because love him as a guy and as a player. Like I said earlier, I would definitely not have had the Spurs career without playing alongside him, definitely. That summer, the 2005-06 season, we also completed the signing of a, a sort of another legend of the game in Edgar Davids. How was he as sort of a character, and how did he fit in with the squad as a player? Yeah, I mean, look, you signed Edgar. He was he was a world renowned name. He was just like on the Nike advert. You seems the clubs that he played for, and you're thinking, wow, we're signing this kind of calibre of player. And when Edgar came in, he was. You know, he's probably a lot more aggressive than I, I thought he was going to be more technical. You see him on the Nike adverts, I was like, he's going to have all these tricks and what have you, but <laughs> like, as in passing and stuff, he wasn't a creator, he was more a breaker-up, getting forward, uh, breaking the lines, where you had the likes of Michael Carrick, who was give the ball five yards and he could create a pass. His passing was incredible. So, But Edgar, yeah, he was... I think that had just shown how far we'd come with, with going and getting players like that and... Then you sign Van der Vaart. Then the names, and I still speak about the Berbatovs. Oh, I mean, I'm, God. I'm, I still, I still pinch myself to think that you, you've played with these world class players. These are world class. They're elite. Um, you know. So, like I say, I, you still realise how, how lucky I've been in, in my career to play with some of the best players. Uh, of that era I think it's easy like you say there Mike to kind of forget I mean even as fans kind of where we've come in such a short space amount of time and me and John are kind of around that kind of same age you know in in our early 30s not giving away too much here early 30s and we've kind of watched this Spurs team develop from the 90s to where it's come to and where we've got now times of player wise and I think fans some of the, I say the younger fans who've got listening some of the wonderful younger fans who've got listening they don't quite realise what the, the bad days have been like I mean there has been definitely an upward you know you know Definitely progression with Spurs, 100%, obviously, through your time there. I have to ask you one thing, Mike, and you might say to me, Rick, I can't answer this. Um, with Edgar joining, we know there was a little bit of an issue they had with, with Robbie King <laughs> during a yeah. training session. Can, can you fill us in? It's probably old news now, Mike. I mean, yeah, I mean it's, tell it's us what happened news. on that day with, with Robbie and Edgar. 
I mean, look, there's there's always at the end of the day to to get to where we've got to as players and play at the highest level. You've got to have that inner determination because otherwise people walk over you. And there were two two big characters in the dressing room, and and it came to blows. It was it was how it was. It was they had an argument, disagreement, and it ends up coming into a scuffle. But look, and it's Robbie not the first, him out. <laughs> it's not the first <laughs> scuffle I've seen, and it, it probably yeah. isn't going to be the last because yeah. you always when when emotions go and things aren't happening, those kind of things happen in, in dressing rooms. And nowadays, social media and and things like that, it's probably a lot more. Uh, it goes a lot more public than it did probably then. There was there was newspapers, but that was the only way it would really come out. And it, things tend to come out then, uh, but now everything's out in 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 a split second because social media is uh, is how the way people talk in it. At summer, Michael as well. Four more young English players joined us in Lennon, Huddleston, Genus, and Wayne Routledge. Did you know any of these guys from the England youth setups, or or maybe someone like Aaron and and Tom from sort of your northern background? Yeah, I mean, look, JJ. Um, I'd been in the youth team with JJ at Forest. It was always a, a name that you knew when you were at, at Forest. He was so highly regarded and he, he broke into the first team as a young age and got his, his move to Newcastle. So signing JJ, it was great to, to be back with him. Tom and Aaron, uh, lads who I've, uh, I've spent an awful lot of time with, probably played with Aaron and Tom more than I have done any, any other players. I've played the most amount of games. And Lenny's a he's a great lad still. Uh, still had some great times, great nights out with, with Tom and us. I still still see Tom now. He, obviously, uh, we're at the rivals now, or, or we were last year, but still f- friends uh, with the family. We had we had time at, at Hull City and and we're in Routledge. So at that period, they were looking to sign young young British players. Um, obviously, JJ was cemented in in the Premier League and played lots more games than what myself. Aaron and, and Tom had probably in, in the Premier League then and, and Wayne as well. So look, we had a we had a good core of players, good senior players and good young lads like ourselves who were getting bought to to try and, and break in the first team and we all ended up having uh great careers there, like I say, playing playing many games together and many amazing memories, which we met up a few years ago in, in Manchester and had a reunion and it was great to see because players go off in different directions and it's great to to regroup and, and reminisce because the special times when you get older and you still talk about them, even tonight talking to you guys, it's it's flashbacks, it's memories, the, the special moments and ones you, they'll live with you forever. Well, talk about flashbacks, memories. We are going to go for a very quick break and when we return, we've got plenty more to come from Mike. We're talking about Lasagna Gate. Mike didn't want to go there. We've got to, I'm afraid, Mike. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Lasagna Gate is coming next. We're talking about glory, glory nights in the Champions League because Michael played in some of our wonderful fixtures. We're talking about beating Arsenal, scoring against Chelsea, and so much more. Do not go anywhere. You aren't going to want to miss this second half. We're back after this very short break. There's a goal! It's just holding it! It's Harry Kane! Who else? He's come down the left. Ben Davies. It looks like the ball's actually got too much air in it. Harry Kane, back stick, headed it. Not much power. It's deflected. I think it's off Fagiva. He's took a deflection. It's scuffed in. 2-1 Spurs, 89 minutes. The dream's still alive. 
Hello and welcome back to the second half of the last word on Spurs. It's a real show here we're doing tonight. It feels bizarre. Just had a Michael off air. John, I feel like we've gone back 10 years doing these kind of shows. The brilliant John from Lily White Rose joins us for this one. And of course, Spurs legend Michael Dawson on the last word on Spurs. You guys are making this happen. Now, I've got to tell you, the way this show is growing week upon week, year upon year, the guests keep getting bigger and bigger. But this is going to take some beating in terms of Michael Dawson. Doors, you mentioned before the break that you had a bit of a reunion up at Manchester. Do you just want to give us a, you know, a bit of a summary as to who was there, the kind of lads that you were kind of hanging about with at the time for that night? I was at Hull. Uh, and there was myself, Tom, Jake, and then Aaron was at Everton, I think, at the time. There was Danny Rose. I think Spurs had been playing somewhere, so Danny came up. We had Kyle Norton. JJ was going to come and join us, but I think JJ was working at the time, uh, doing some media and, and walk. So I don't know where Carl Walker was. He he was coming, uh, but couldn't make it. Maybe maybe in training on the Sunday. So look, it was just one of one of those. We'd we'd spent so long together at Spurs, and we'd had some nights out down there, which which young lads do. They're they're young, they go out, and we just thought we'd have a reunion in Manchester where everyone was playing. It was it was perfect. So we went for some food and a few drinks, just just to have a catch up. Like I say, it's it's one of those getting everyone together. With games, fixtures here, there, and everywhere, it was hard. But this this one worked. It was a few years ago, but it was it was great to see. And like I say, you, you spend so much time together, and then you don't see each other for a few years. But it's not it's like you've seen them only yesterday. So that shows a friendship that that you have with each other, and and special memories. Like I say, it's good good times, good lads, and you, you meet you meet people along the way. I would love to know what Jake Livermore did to become Northern to fit in with the rest of you guys. <laughs> it was just because he was at Hull, uh, Hull, I think, at the time. So it was probably Jake who sorted it. But no, like I said, just one of those one of those uh, nights. Like I said, I think it's about time we had uh, another one. To be honest, I'll, I'll get onto the lads after this. Yeah, get an invite in the post for me and Ricky, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I must ask you another character at the club while you were there, and we seem to have had a lot of them. Was Mido? Can you tell mm. us a story or two about him and, and what the other players sort of made of him when he arrived at the training ground? Oh, Mido was brilliant. Absolute character. Um, when we signed him, it was it was another good signing. I, I think that could have been his first one game. I thought, what a handful. He was a big, physical boy. But a character, and I always remember one of the stories, I think he was 17 and had a Ferrari. I was like, wow, a bit different to my Fiesta that I had when I turned 17. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he was just—it was one of those characters had a had a good career. He came. He was—he said it how he was. Very opinionated. He could, would would tell you how it was. Would fall out with people. But another good guy was just a winner. Um, and he scored some important goals. And when he played, he was—he was—he was a real handful. Um, him and Martin had the the relationship, like I say, where he, he would say how it was, and they, they'd have a go at each other. But that's just. It's either you make up or it's not, and that's how Mido was, but uh, another good guy. Mike, it's time to revisit that horrendous memory that you didn't want to go there. And to be fair, we don't like going there, but when there's a player that played during that period, we have to ask them their viewpoint on it. Now, I've had many different players on from that Lasagna Gate episode. We've had the likes of Huddleston, that's been with us. We've had, who else have we had, John? We've had Eric Hedman. Trying to think of the other Spurs players we've had around this time. Yeah, uh, Johnny Jackson. Johnny Jackson. Yeah, a lot of these ex-Spurs players from that time that was in that squad. And we just want to find out from you, Dawes, again, your experience of that day. And Because we know the night before, I mean, Tom said that he didn't want to be rude and interrupt the manager that evening. But he had a bit of a bad tummy. I think he let Chrissy Hewton know in the morning that, look, he doesn't think he was going to be up to it. 
And it was horrendous. I mean, was it too coincidental, Mike? It was the lasagna. I mean, tell us, was that chef an Arsenal fan? Tell us, let's get closure to this, Mike. What yeah, happened? honestly, Rick, I, 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 I cannot go. I, honestly, we trained Friday morning or Saturday morning. It was maybe Sunday cook-off. And we went home and we went to a hotel. Uh, and we were all having food. We are all fine. I remember going back to my room and... I phoned my wife and I was like, I'm off to sleep. I thought, it's early tonight. I'm not feeling great. I'm thinking, go playing West Ham tomorrow. Massive game. Got a win to get in the Champions League. What an opportunity. What a season we've had. Mm. All of a sudden, I wake up at 12 o'clock and I'm sick and I'm lying there thinking, oh, no, I can't. I'm, I'm going to play tomorrow. I can't tell anyone. I'll be all right. It gets to four o'clock and I'm like sick again, like physically sick. And, and I'm thinking, I've got to phone the physio. I might be struggling to play tomorrow. I'm thinking, so I phoned, phoned the physio and it was Jeff Scott and, and then the Charlotte, the doc came down. As as they've come down, I said, look, I, said, I think I've got food poisoning. I said, I don't think I'm going to be the only one. As of there, Charlotte's, I'm being sick in the toilet and Charlotte's there rubbing me back and I'm like, oh my <laughs> word, this is about four in the morning. This is horrendous. I'm thinking, yeah. I, I said to him, I remember saying, I'm not going to be the only one. I remember saying that and... Then the next morning, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, the phone, and I feel terrible. Absolutely, you know what it's like when you've got mm. a bug or yeah, you've yeah. got food poisoning, whatever it is. Everything you prepare, you eat the right food, you need your energy, you're drinking. This was just an absolute nightmare. It was a hot day. I'm thinking, so we go down for a walk at eleven o'clock, and I'm like looking at the lads. I look, I look <laughs> green. I'm thinking, how am I going to play? The police were there, and they're like, look, oh, we can put the game back for an hour. I'm like an hour. I'm like, what's an hour going to do for you? I I've, I'm dehydrated, I've got no energy and it's five or six of us who are really struggling and I'm thinking like, and the lads are like, look, come on Dorsh, you'll be alright, you want you to play because you've had a good season, you're playing well and in hindsight, I shouldn't have played Was you one like, of the worst Dorsh, really... would you say? Was you one of the worst? I don't know, Michael Carrick, he came off very mm. early, didn't he? He, looked, uh, he, he literally looked like Casper the Ghost he was white I didn't look much better but I don't, I don't unless I've had it's like July or I've been on my holiday something like that but it was just <laughs> honestly it, like I can't I, I can't tell you like I say in hindsight I shouldn't have played someone who'd been at home the night before who wasn't probably in the in the squad would have been better than me because I just never had energy and we ended up getting tested and obviously they came back and said it wasn't food poisoning but still to this day I'm uh, I'm still a little bit sceptical and thinking it's just bizarre that a few of us Few of us went down so quick within the space of probably twelve hours of, of being together. It maybe happens. I, I don't know, but yeah, it was that was certainly a, a hard ninety minutes. And I got home and I just lied on the sofa and I was like, "How oh, I played that game, I'll never know." And 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 we all know what happened in it and mm. uh, who we missed out on too. So it was an absolute disastrous way to finish the end of the season. And obviously, yeah, hard summer to take. Uh, having worked so hard to put us in a position that we'd not been in for before. So, and to miss out on the Champions League, yeah, it was devastating the work that we'd put in all season, the progression we'd done as a football club, um, and missing out on the opportunity to play at some of these, the world wild stage, which is a Champions League, which is where another every young player wants to play. Incredible. Despite that disappointing end of the season, it, it did end on a successful personal note for yourself. You penned another new contract with Tottenham. Mike. On the 5th of November 2005, a day no true Spurs fan will ever forget. We finally overcame Chelsea. We finally ended the hoodoo as we hadn't beat them at White Hart Lane 
since 1987. You equalised with a powerful header before Azar hit that late winner. Just talk us through that game. Just how loud was it to play in at White Hart Lane? Because the ground, I think me and John were both there, it was literally rocking. It felt like it was about to, about to explode. Just talk us through, Mike, that experience I, for you. I, absolute bouncing. And that's what made football so special. It was... Um, I'd had an, an awful lot of opportunities to score my first goal. And it was like, I've got to get this first goal. Because in my first year at Forest, I'd, I'd scored seven goals, I think, in my first year. And then I dried up and I just couldn't get this first goal. And I remember JJ whipping this ball in. What a ball it was. A pace, the pace was on the ball and I took this glancing header and it flew. And ah, the feeling. And now I, that feeling for strikers to score every week must be the best feeling in the world. It's just, it is absolutely amazing. Then Lenny to score the goal to, to, to get the, the win. Was amazing. Too far. It was bonfire night, and I've actually got my mate came to the game, and he he got the ticket framed. And I've still got it in my house, like of that ticket of, of it coming to the game. I've still got it. I, I can see it now. So yeah, amazing. Obviously for you guys as fans, but as players, it just shown how far we've come as a football club. How long it had been since Spurs had beat Chelsea at White Hart Lane? It was way too long, but we got rid of that. Uh, and it sort of gave us belief to where we were going as a football club and as a team and growing. And then we went to Man United a few years later and beat them. Like the stats that, that Spurs never won there, all these were going out the window. So it was it was a great start. And, and for me to score, wow! I still I still see that goal now when when people talk about me in a in a Spurs shirt. And it's still uh, it's still one I'll certainly show the. Uh, the kids, that's for sure. Michael, you captained the club for the first time later that season, away to Chelsea in an FA Cup game. I mean, what an experience that must have been. Could you just talk us through that and, and sort of how you were approached that you were going to be the captain for that game? Yeah, I mean, look, I'd been a, I'd been captain all probably through my career as a young lad in the youth team, and and then even in Forest youth team at a, a young age. And it, it does come with responsibility, and sometimes the armband is is a heavy weight for people to carry. Um, and when Martin told me that I was going to be captain, the, the adrenaline, the nerves, came a little bit more. And I think we ended up drawing the game. We might have even been winning. I think Michael Ballack scored uh, to, to draw the game. But just to lead the lads out um, as a Spurs captain, Ledley was obviously still the Spurs captain, but it's a real honour. And, and it just shows how highly I was regarded by Martin Yoll in such a short space of time that he, he gave me the armband so some of the players that were on that pitch like I say it was it was another real honour in my I suppose career to, to get the armband so early on uh, and get that and like I say it's special walking out it's, it's great being a captain it does come with more responsibilities but it's something I've had all my career Mike, as you say there, you're really kind of forging your reputation in that Spurs team as obviously a regular centre-back playing under Martin, loving life under Martin. That season you played all but one of our 59 games in all competitions. And again, you were rewarded with a new five-year deal. How did you feel at that point, Mike, it was going for you at Tottenham? Just got that new contract, like John says, being given the cat's armband for games as well. Tell us, was that the happiest you'd been in your career at Tottenham? Yeah, for sure. Like I was, I was, I was an established player. I was respected by the rest of the, the players. I was playing with so much confidence, and that's something that 
I've learned since I went through the hard times under one day Ramos. I hadn't gone through them at them time. My confidence was so high. Um, the club showed so much faith in giving me another new contract, which was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I was playing, going out and playing with no fear. And, and it just shows confidence in, in, in a football player. I can tell when someone's got no confidence or confidence and, and we, we can touch on the one day Ramos situation where I, I really struggled and it was it was a, a real tough challenge to come back. You have to show a mental strength and I look back probably from the age of 30 that it stood me in good stead for the rest of my career because it was certainly hard times. You just touched on him, but sort of in the in the next season, things changed drastically at Tottenham with Martin Yol being sacked at half-time during a UEFA Cup game. Did the players feel that coming? And was there a sense of sadness amongst the squad of Martin being sacked at a man that to the fans, certainly, it seemed you're all so close to. Yeah, there was there was a massive, uh, massive disappointment. We we'd obviously set the bar so high, and then when you come off it, and you maybe not to where you we were expected to be at, and to see Martin, he would give us all the opportunity. How far we'd grown, uh, yeah, it was a real disappointment. And and any any manager that you're close to, that you like, they get the sack. Your players, you're always you're always guilty. It's fat because the players cross the white line and you obviously are not performing or you're not getting the results. Uh, and ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to the manager getting sacked. So, yeah, it was hard. It was it was a major disappointment. And then obviously one day came in and we were, uh, we obviously, we won, we won the League Cup, which was uh, a, a special day, long time since we'd won anything. And it, it's been a long time since uh, that 2008 eight game. And I saw Woody a few weeks ago and Robbie, I had a drink with him after we'd, Forrest had played Middlesbrough and we, we spoke and it was 12, 12 years ago. I think we must have played him on a Monday. It was 12 years ago. I said, Woody, you scored the, scored the winning 12 years ago as yesterday. So, look, them memories are, are great as well. But touching on, on the hard times when we had two, two points from eight games with... The players Harry, Harry's favourite line. We can't forget that one, Dawes. Harry's favourite no, line. You, <laughs> really no, right. I, I, I don't forget it neither. No, I bet you don't. The players we had. Yeah, oh, it's ridiculous. Not quite right. Yeah, um, yeah. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. it? Honestly, what the players have gone on to achieve mm. and and win, and just shows happy players playing with confidence. Yeah, and that's all Harry, Harry did. Harry came in. From there, we had two two points from eight games, and we ended up finished seventh, I think, just missing out on Europe. And he just got belief and the happiness around the camp back. And when you have that, players go and express yourself because he was very fortunate, Harry. He was walking into a dressing room who were top-class players. Yeah. Top-class. Like, and it's shown what players have gone on to uh, achieving the careers, uh, the calibre that were at the football club at that moment in time. Yeah, I mean, you might already kind of mentioned him. Tell to us about One Day Ramos then, because, I mean, as fans from the outside, listen, at the time, we didn't really have social media, what it was like now. And again, we pick up a newspaper and you were reading that Jelly Babies were out the window, Jaffa Cakes are gone. You know, poor Tom Huddleston, looked like he lost about four stone, bless him. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the weight, I mean, it was like everyone was going kind of through this kind of weight loss transition. It was just incredible. The whole squad was on these diets and, you know, we've got obviously a, a nutritionist in with that chat at the time. I know nutritionists really. Um, I feel like one day was kind of part of bringing these into football because they weren't very much kind of, you know, really in the established eye that they are now. But talk to us also, Mike, about that side of things and also the fact that as players, you're there to train. And you obviously want to get the message from the manager in terms of how he wants you to set up, how he wants you to play. But the message, I think, Mike, and again, it'd be great to get your thoughts on this, is it being distorted? Because 
Gus bless him, Gus Poyet is translating what one day is saying to you guys. So then you kind of already lose the message from what we spoke to ex-players, again, the likes of Tom, Johnny Jackson. I mean, talk us through, yeah, one day in general. What was it like? Yeah, what yeah. Like I've, I've touched on it there, Rick. It, it, my hardest point in uh, in the Spurs career, for sure. Like, I was, I was struggling. Confidence, you know, I was getting criticised and probably rightly so in hindsight. Um along with other players because we weren't performing and, and look, I said there, manager to get the sack, but players have to take responsibility. Yes, we did. But one day came on and first thing he said, we were all overweight. No disrespect. You look at, look at me, I was skinny as, and, and I ended up losing, I think six kg, someone who, mm. who didn't, who couldn't lose that much weight and became mm. weak and just yeah. wasn't performing. Look, he struggled with the language barrier. And like you say, they, so it went through Gus um, so it, it was hard time. We won. We, we had obviously a great day out when we beat Chelsea. And would he scored? Incredible. Um, what could he have done, that, Mike, to make the, what could he, I mean, out of interest, what could he have done to make things easier for himself? In, what could he have done with the players as a group? Do you think if there was some kind of less, you know, easing on the on the diet on the diet, or in terms of you know, well, certain, going, what going could he have done? There, yeah, going there on the diet. I mean, mm. look, players spend. We were spending so much time. In the hotel, night before a game, you've got to have a happy camp. Whether it's right or wrong, lads need to be happy. You're turning up, you're going, you've got no bolognese sauce. And people listen to me and say, well, that's pathetic. <laughs> what, you lost the game because you haven't. Yeah. The fact is, yeah. you go into your room, you, you're in a hotel, you want to sit and you're having a meal with a lad, you want to be happy around. You're looking, going, the dry chicken, dry pasta. Yeah. Sounds pathetic, but it does make a difference. A happy camp breeds. A mentality that you're all together and what have you, and and that was obviously a shock to ourselves because we, we we had such a happy camp under Martin, uh, and when you're winning games, things probably a brush under the table, and those kind of things, and when you're not winning winning games, people look blame, um, and he was chopping and changing. It just it just was it didn't work. Look, he'd had a great season before winning the Europa League with Seville, so his his stock was high and. Look, it was hard with the language, Barry. It is hard. But I just think these kind of things coming in and he probably didn't need major changes and he did his his tactics and where he was trying to work. It was, like I say, with the language, Barry, I do find it, uh, it, it was hard for him. You've just mentioned something that, that's brought a question to, to me, actually, uh, Michael, which is talking of Seville. We obviously had those two really high-intensity, high-energy um, Europa League games against them. And obviously in the second leg at White Hart Lane, we were two down and I think we got it back to two all. And you were actually thrown up front. I mean, what was that like as an experience? I think you came close to scoring. Do you know what? I should have scored. I should have scored back stick. I remember it. <laughs> uh, ball crossing. I don't know why I didn't head it. And I still look over and thought, imagine you score one of them to because um, we ended up going out and I, and I missed it yeah I had chances you know going up front I played up there as, as a young kid I'd scored goals it was and when you're chasing the game you try and do anything look I'd been up front before and you try and flick it on you're going a little bit more direct because you're trying to get the ball in the box a lot quicker and when you do go up you just hope you can get a chance and I had a chance but I, I fluffed it so it, it was one of those um but like I say, that the Europa League start when we were in in Europe, we had some great, great journeys. You guys as fans, we travelled. The fans were amazing. Everywhere we went, we sold out. Uh, and then obviously we went one step further when we when we got to the Champions Leagues. 
one final game I must ask you about under one then, Ramos, was that 5-1 over Arsenal at White Hart Lane. We'd waited a long time to, to beat Arsenal, to beat them so handsomely like that. The lane was absolutely rocking that night. What were your memories of that game, Michael? Uh, it was up there with one of my, uh, another one of my, my best nights. Having been 1-1, I think in the first leg it was, and then beating them 5-1, it was and a semi-final. White Hart Lane against Arsenal, you, you could feel the pressure. Do you know, as a, as, a, as a player, whenever you played Arsenal, you had that. You'd walk, I'd walk down the street and be like, "Oh, your best beat Arsenal tomorrow." I was like, "Oh yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I like." <laughs> <laughs> Don't give us any more pressure. It was one of them. It was just you knew what it meant to the fans. It it was a special atmosphere. The buzz around the place. Was there a confidence, Mike, before that game that you felt you could beat them? Because it, I mean, it was it's like almost the shackles were off and the goals kept on coming. It was just like all that frustration, all that anger of years of going, you know, going a couple of goals up and then throwing the lead away. It just seemed like it just all just exploded that night. All that anger, frustration was just kind of taken out on them. Yeah, and everything, everything we hit just seemed to go in the back of the net. And when you score goals when you're on top, it, it gives you an extra 10% and it deflates the other team. So before you know it, you're 20% up on, a, on them and you, you're playing with freedom, you're playing with confidence, your energies, you're getting close to them. They don't feel as though they can, they can make a pass. So I've, I've been on, on both ends. I've been on the losing end of that and you just think you can't get out. The team's hounding you and, and we did that. And, and like when we scored the goals and you've seen the way it was after and the first time we've been in the final for, for a long time and and like I say, then to win it was was amazing. A long time since, uh, and my first first medal. Although I missed it through injury, and and that was another one from from a young age. Uh, in hindsight, I shouldn't have played in the derby game the week before when I uh, I pulled my hamstring. Michael, you've mentioned that that Chelsea game, and obviously you know you did miss it through injury. But how much of a a sort of blow was that for you to to miss that occasion, um, having played so well in the semi final and in the run up to to the final? Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking to to miss a final. And uh, whether I would have played, look, Woody and Woody and Ledley were there, but just not even to be in amongst it and in, in and around it, you have that buzz and power of it lifting the trophy. Um, still, still a massive disappointment. And but look, still to win it because, like I said, I'd played I think every round before it and to miss a final, and I'd had a slight. Uh, hamstring strain before the derby game and, and I shouldn't have played I was one of those I always wanted to play it was probably me my own downfall that I should have just said look I'm injured not playing I'll be fit in a week um, but I was always sometimes like I said play through the pain barrier and sometimes it comes to, to sting you and it did me that time so but look we, we got the win that we we wanted uh, as players and fans so that was the most important thing yeah and obviously, we know what happened after that game and the way we kind of fell apart that season. It kind of then led into the next season, as you already said, the infamous two points from eight games. And in came Harry Redknapp, lovable Harry Redknapp, arm around the shoulder, Harry Redknapp. Talk to us then, Doors, about Harry. What a character. What did he do to lift the side, Mike? Because you mentioned he had quality players there. I mean, it was it, it seemed like it was a case of someone coming in shielding you and giving you all this love to tell you just how good you were what was it like yeah Harry Harry was great and he was always when he was at Portsmouth and I was at Forest and I think Portsmouth got promoted one year he was always one that spoke so highly of me and so when I walked through the door he was arm round and, and like I say I'd been going through a bad time we played at Stoke the week before he came in and I got sent off I was rash a straight red card so I missed the first three games with him but then from then he got me back playing where I knew I could play and that's why I, 
I'm always grateful for Harry because he let me go and express myself. And at times I didn't play under him because we had Woody and, and Ledley. Um, but he still loved me. He still he'd have me and he'd be chatting, saying, "Look, you'll get your, you'll get your chance." And and I did. I kept my head down, kept working hard. And like I say, come 2010, I I played uh, probably my best football I played in my career, not just at Spurs, but all the way all the way through. Can I just sneak in one quick question, John? I've got to ask Dawes. With Harry, I think everyone's kind of said that he's one of the greatest managers of being a retailer player that he's not playing, but yet still keep him happy. Has he got a quite modern charm to that in terms of, you know, the fact that you're not going to make the team, but he still keeps the player happy enough? Because you mentioned there, it wasn't easy for you. You had, obviously, Ledley, you had Woody there. It's difficult to always play regular every single game. Was he great like that in terms of, obviously, just keeping your confidence up, telling you, you know, always be ready, you're going to get back in this team? Yeah, I mean, look, he'd have me in all the time going, Dorsh, you're a great guy, you'll, you'll get your chance. Because there's always injuries. It's, it's part and parcel of football. If you didn't have injuries, you'd have your best 11 players week in, week out. It's, it's part and parcel. And when you do get the opportunity, you've got to take it. Uh, and I did that with Harry. And he, he was great, honestly. He was, he'd have me in. And I'd go in going, Gaffer, I'm not playing or whatever. And it, it made me feel 10 foot tall when I came out. And I still wasn't playing. But he, was, he just had that where he could, <laughs> he could manage you. Uh, and like I said, I did play many games under Harry. So it was... Uh, like I say, I was always grateful that he got me back playing where I was when I first signed because, like I say, it was certainly a hard time mentally and obviously not performing. So, like I say, it was it, it was good good times with Harry. In 2009, we again reached the League Cup final, this time taking on Manchester United and you did get your chance to play. We played well on the day and I remember Aaron Lennon absolutely battering Patrice Evra all afternoon. And it was just a shame that we couldn't get a goal in the 120 minutes and it went to the lotteries of a penalty shootout. What were your memories of that game and the United forwards you came up against? Because I remember the likes of, at one point, Ronaldo, Tevez, Rooney, uh, all being (laughs) on the pitch at once. I mean, what was that like? Apart from getting cramp in my quads and hamstrings at the same time, in like (laughs) 120 minutes thinking, I don't believe this. I remember Ledley trying to stretch my hamstring, going, no, I've got it in my quad. And then he tried to stretch my quad and I gave me hamstring. I think it was Danny Welk who started, who started uh, up top and he just he was running the channels. I was like, he was a young lad at the time. He'd not played too many games. But I remember the change. Ronaldo came on. I'm thinking, oh my word, I've got crampy. I'm getting tired. But we had opportunities to probably win the game. We, we performed well. But when it comes to penalties, it's just a lottery, isn't it? It's one of those. And still to this day, I wish I could. I had the energy to step up and take one. Um, but, but I didn't. And, you know, Ben's missed, Jamie O'Hara missed. And, and when you're losing, you've been that close. And you give, like, I remember being in tears after. You, you're physically absolutely drained. You've give everything mentally and physically 120 minutes of pitch at Wembley to win something. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. It was. And then we went back to hotel, actually, because we played Middlesbrough on the Tuesday night. So we had to recover quickly. Uh, and go again. So, yeah, it was it was a real disappointment losing losing a final, and especially where we did on penalties. Yeah, it, it was so gutting. Like you said, there you got to dust yourself down, and you got another game. It's just the turnaround of that, trying to manage the emotions as a player. That must be so tricky. But 2009, 2010 season, Mike was seen by many as your best in a Spurs shirt. As we finished in that coveted top four position, our highest league finish for 20 years, beating Arsenal and Chelsea in the matter of days, winning at Man City to seal it. What was the highlight of the season for you? And what was it like, Mike, for you playing in a team with Ledley, Modric, Bale, Crouchy? What was that like? 
like incredible, and I can still see it now. It was that year I got Player of the Year, um, and I remember collecting the Player of the Year, year award and seeing Janola, Klinsman, Sheringham. I was thinking, oh my word, my name's going to be on this shield with these kind of players, like absolutely. <laughs> and I'd I'd love to see it now. My name will still be on there with the Harry Kane's, all all these kind of players that have got Player of the Year. I would, I would, it was. It, it was the best season that I ever had, and I did go to the World Cup f- from of it. And those those memories of Man City crouching, scoring the header, um, and just giving us as players the opportunity the year after, and what we went on to achieve and do, it's something like I say will live me with forever because. In your in your career, you have opportunities, and that opportunity you've got to take because if you don't, you blink and it's gone. And we, as a team, we just had so many memories, like you say, beating Arsenal, beating Chelsea, and then having to go to Man City and win. And we did that, and it, it was just it was amazing. And like I say, that was it showed how far we'd gone and how far we were going. And even then, it kept going. The football club just kept going and going and going, and it's still going. It's still setting them. Heights and the players that that are there, and um, like I say, that night of, of Man City to get there was was special and and a real achievement from a group of players that had been working towards that. Ricky listed you off that that star list of players, but I must ask you about another player in person in that team, and that was the goalkeeper Jorelio Gomez. Mm. I mean, what was that like as an experience playing in front of him? Yeah, Gomez was great. The octopus. Um, <laughs> He was, he, giving, was one, he was giving a couple of other different names, Mike, when you were, when we, when you were in front of him, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, uh, Gomez had his critics as well, in it, and towards the end he got a lot of stick uh, for the mistakes. But he came for crosses as a defender uh, that you didn't have to head. So, look, when goalkeeper stays on the line, you have to head it. And he did. He was. He made some world-class saves. He did. In, in his in his peak of his career at Spurs, he, he was brilliant. And then, obviously, like I say, I talked about confidence earlier. When a goalie loses confidence, you're in big trouble because the ball ends up in your back. You, back in, you've got no one really to help you around you. So, Gomez was absolute great guy, lovable guy. Um and like I say, another another top keeper that that Spurs uh, have had the they've certainly had plenty of them. That's for sure. Well, we are going to go for our final break of the show, and when we return, we're going to be discussing glory, glory nights in the Champions League for Tottenham. Michael departing Spurs and is a testimonial up for debate. Please do not go anywhere. We are back after this final break of the show. Hello and welcome back to the final part of The Last Word on Spurs. Joined by John from Lily White Rose and Tottenham Hotspur legend. I can't believe I'm still saying this on this show. Surreal. Michael Dawson is with us. The Michael Dawson. Yes, Dawes is with us on The Last Word on Spurs. Incredible. Right, time to talk Champions League with you, Mike. Now, before we got going on that campaign, we did add a very special player to our squad on deadline day. And what happens now, Mike, is I know, listen, um, Spurs, Twitter, social media, there's so much that hangs off now, deadline day signings and the excitement, purely because we've never quite had one like it since. But we've got Raphael van der Vaart on the deadline day. Talk to us, Mike, for you. Just how good was he to play with? What was that like for you? Incredible. Incredible. Uh, what a signing. Like I say, Spurs could really bring a deadline. Unbelievable dead 
uh, deadline day signing and Rafa coming through the door again was like, wow, He's, the quality that he had, uh, the skills it had was just amazing. He, he, he carried himself like he was he was a big player and, and he never disappointed some of the goals he scored. I mean, him and Crouchy, uh, I think he loved playing with Crouchy because when you play against Crouchy or play with him, uh, I've played since I've left or or even when I was at Spurs I played against Crouch he was such a handful but Rafa serious talent in training he, he would take the ball in areas um, that other players wouldn't so massive signing and it, like I said it just showed kept showing we kept creating we kept believing we kept players wanting to come the size of the football club was um, was massive and we, we attracted these kind of players Our Champions League run that we've talked about was so memorable it couldn't have started much worse as we were 3-0 down to young boys of Bern within 30 minutes on that artificial pitch. I mean, what was going through the players' heads at that time and, and did you think we'd blown it so soon? Yeah. Um, you thought the whole work that's gone through the year before uh, or probably a few months before you think we've, we've finished four and I remember thinking of Everton, they did the same but they didn't make it into that's the right. group stage. Yeah, that's they it. went yeah, out yeah. and you think I don't believe this. When you're going away and you've you've been drawn against young boys, you oh you hear it's on AstroTurf and you think, I don't believe this. Um making excuses, yeah, the game was ridiculous, it was completely different. However, we, we got away with it because we could we could have lost the game a lot more. We were three down, but then Pav scored um late on an absolute worldie. But then they had an opportunity to go. They missed a chance late on, but then when we got when we got back to White Hart Lane, the week building up, you're thinking we've just got to close this, we've got to make it into the group stages. We can't, as players, have done what we've done for 12 months prior to go and blow it all away and miss out on it. We can't, you, that can't happen. And thankfully, it didn't. I mean, we were very comfortable when we we had the the second leg at White Hart Lane, and and obviously it gave us the opportunity to go on the on the big stage. And you hear that music, the Champions League music. It, certainly makes the, the hairs on the back of your, your neck stand up because that going into it, some of the journeys we went on, went on were just incredible. One of those journeys, of course, Mike, we had the 4-3 in Milan, which was the making of Gareth Bale. Did you guys in the dressing room just know how good he was going to become at that time, Mike? Was there already an intuition of feeling that, God, this is quite a special player to play with in the Spurs team? What was it like? I mean, look, we knew it. We knew he could win football matches on his own. The pace and power of him, but what he did to Mike on that put him on the worldwide stage. I always say that game made him known to everyone across the world. Everyone, this is Gareth Bale. Look, he was known anyway. The Spurs fans of Premier League, and he had to work hard. He had to work hard to become this Spurs regular. It wasn't all plain sailing, but when he got confidence, and like I say, probably the best player I've ever played with because he could win a game on his own. And the goal at Norwich when people try to cripple him twice and he goes past players. Oh, that's incredible, yeah. Um, yeah. Just the power of strength of him. And it wasn't as though it would be the first minute. He'd do it in the 89th minute, yeah. go past players. And yeah. it was just incredible. And like I say, that year, it, it just it just made him. And he was he was playing with confidence. He was, he was carrying us as a team. And the quality we had, Luka Modric, Rafa, Crouchy, Defoe. Honestly, the list goes on of players. But Gaz was just playing at such a high level with such amazing confidence and no one could live with him. No one, people were petrified of him. And we're talking about the Champions League year, the elite 
end of football, the best bit of football that can be. Gareth Bale, Spurs, this is us. We are on it. Um, and like I say, going to AC Milan, obviously going to Bernabeu. These, these are special moments that I talk about, albeit we lost and Crouchy got sent off at the Bernabeu. But these, these are special nights in your career that you look back when you, you get older and, and you talk about it. And that's why it's great to be speaking to you guys because as fans, like I said, you travelled everywhere in numbers and had, had the great journey that we had as, as players in, in, a, in a football club. Yeah, I mean, talking about travelling, I was, I was at uh, both Milan games and the second one with my dad. I mean, that AC game, I mean, for you personally, if I just tell you this, and I'm sure you know, but you were up against that night doors. Ibrahimovic, and we're talking about a prime Ibrahimovic, and Robinho with Seedorf and Gattuso putting the balls into him. That's and you went out there and kept a clean sheet, you know, for a superb 1-0 win, as went on that run and squared it to Crouchy. I mean, where does that rank in terms of a defensive performance from yourself? That's got to be right at the top, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, going, going there as well. Uh, massive underdogs. We've never been there before. Yes, we played AC um, into there. But going there in, in the knockout stage, it was like, wow, it was like, this is it. And like you say, you name, you name them. I actually got a Rubinho shirt after. I ended up having a drug test with Seedorf and sat there and thinking, wow, this is quite, quite surreal here. I'm just sat and uh, we've just won 1-0. And, oh, dear. And then obviously we're going back to White Hart Lane, still as underdogs, although we've been away from home and won 1-0. Uh, and just to keep another clean sheet. So no, it was, it was these kind of nights that, uh, you certainly remember and, and you guys as fans you're still talking about you think it's only yourself as individuals that you remember the, the special nights and the Gattuso headbutting Joe Jordan oh that was brilliant the, that was still uh, Joe would have killed him though wouldn't he if he went back Joe would have killed him if he could but Joe, Joe ended up getting a, a touchline ban I think in the second leg and it was like Joe actually didn't do anything no 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 he, he, just, he, just, he just stood there he didn't do anything he got headbutted and he, and he yeah. took it and Joe was, Joe was a great guy yeah. uh, he helped Big influence on Harry. Took a lot of the session. Did a lot of work. Yeah. And there was there was uh, Kevin Bond and, and Clive Allen, obviously, uh, as well. So good good guys who, who Harry had. So yeah, these these journeys that we, we still talk about. And there's been there's been many many since. But from from that era, um, it was a it was a top class performance from everyone in front of us not just the back five the back four whatever you want to be the guys in front were were fantastic Doors we eventually got eliminated from that tournament by Real Madrid just how frustrating was the Crouchy red card listen I know you're probably still you know massive Crouchy's a massive player I know he's very he seems such a lovely guy Crouchy he really really does so I know you probably don't hold anything against him but that night the frustration of that red card did it kind of spoil the game it just made it even harder against God when you think 10 men against that Madrid team God, it was half of 11. Yeah, you you walking out of the Bernabeu. You think, I thought I'd be more, I thought I'd be going there as a tour rather than going to play. Uh, but yeah, in the knockout stage in the Champions League, and we got off to such a bad start, we give a real sloppy goal away, set piece, which is if they cut you open with the quality of players they have, it can happen. It can happen because you're playing world class players. But from a set piece, to be 1-0 down so early on and then getting Crouchy getting sent off and you're thinking, wow, the size of this pitch is massive. This could be, and it could have been any score in the end. So we got a 4-0 disappointing, real, uh, probably even before going back to White Lane, you, you know 4-0 down against Real Madrid. It was going to be nigh on impossible and you just thought, you were hoping could Gaz have another one of those nights where it was 
Uh, it was like he was playing FIFA on the computer, but it was, it was happening in real life because that's what Gaz, Gaz could do. But yeah, it was just one step too far for us. But like I say, a great journey that we'd been on uh, for nearly 24 months, I suppose, by the time we got into the Champions League and then you're, you're on, the, on the journey. So a real, a real learning experience for, for uh, the majority of players who not played in the Champions League. So... Um, yeah, special moments. Your form was excellent during that 2010 season. Led to Carlos Tevez describing you as the best English defender he had ever played against. Now, that is quite a compliment, isn't it? It is for someone like him. World-class player. What he's achieved in the game, what he's won in the game. And I suppose for him even to to realise how I'm up against Dawson, it was obviously a, a tough... He found tough battles we had. Whoever you have you play against the centre forward and centre half, you have battles with, sometimes you come out on top and sometimes you don't and you have to, t- you have to take it when you don't. You get criticised from your teammates, your manager, because you, someone's been better than you but for Carlos Tevez to say that, it's, it's one that people always ask me about. Um, so yeah, it was, it was nice for someone of, of his kind of, of player from where he's played, the clubs, for him to, to name me. Now Dawes, Redknapp then left the club and Andre Villas-Boas came in, and subsequently you seemed so close to joining QPR. How did that transfer almost materialise, and why did you decide to stay at Tottenham? Can you just talk us through that chain of events? Yeah, I mean, look, Andre Villas-Boas came in, and he, he tried to do the same at Chelsea. I was captain of the football yeah. club at the time. I'd played mm-hmm. 40, 40 games or 40-odd games a season before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came in, and it was like, all of a sudden, never, never really worked with him, never spoke to him. He was like, oh, we want to try and sell you. I was thinking, what have I done? Like, What have I done wrong? And then my agent was phoning saying bids are coming in and QPR. Was that the first conversation, Mike? Just very quickly on that. So that you've literally never met the bloke. He's come in. You've not really had much time to work with him. And straight away, you're up for sale. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that literally yeah, was how it was. That's that's how it was. Uh, the club got in touch with my agent and it was one of those. And look, the money that QPR were were branding around and it, the fee was agreed and look if I'd have been money money driven I would have gone to QPR for sure because they were offering an awful lot more money than what I was on at Spurs but look it just didn't 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 seem right I, for what I'd done at the football club to leave um, and that's probably the character that I was I always like proving people wrong so we didn't have the we didn't hit it off from from minute one and I remember him the first team were playing at Newcastle in the 23s and he went, uh, I'd got win that I was going to be playing. I think it was me and Tom actually playing the 23s or eight. And I can't remember what it was. You could have some overage on the Saturday. He mm. goes, so you'll fly up. I says, no. What, what am I going to benefit playing in there? So we didn't get off to the best best of starts. However, it's something that I'll always say to a, a young kid here. Keep your head down, work hard and you get your opportunities. So we didn't really speak, but I was one of those people who when I went into train I had respect for myself, I had respect for every other player who crossed that white line and I give 110% and Andre Villas-Boas must have seen something to go on. I like him I never complained, I just came in, did my work, went home uh, and thankfully we were playing West Ham at home and I got the opportunity and played and never looked back I played every minute of every game towards the end of the season, they ended up signing a new contract so that was that was was how it was, and myself and Andre Villas-Boas had a had a relationship after that that we got on well. I was captain, you know, so it just shows 
And I say to every young player, if you're not in the team, make the manager notice you are. Like I said earlier, make them notice that you can train and you're good enough to be in the team rather than suck. Because I've played with players that suck and then you, I've got, I, I can't deal with players like that that happen because at the end of the day, the manager can only play 11 players and everyone has an opinion and, and, and that can that can happen. So, um, so that's where it went and I signed an, an, another new deal. So, I, it was the best decision I ever, I ever made. Uh to stay and play an awful lot more games, uh, like I say. And Michael, coming down to August 2014, you, you did leave the club, joining Hull City. Did you feel at the time this was the right time to move on and maybe move back up north? And sort of what caused you to leave the club at this point? <laughs> Look, I was, I was 30 years old uh, at the time and I'd played a lot. I think it was under Tim the year before. I'd played a lot of games and... I got a call in the summer to say that um, obviously Hull City had come in with me. My wife was pregnant at the time and I thought, I can't go again at 30. I'll be 31 coming to the end of that season. Go again, go through what I went through, Andre Villas-Boas. Because if I don't then get the opportunity, where does my career go? And I love playing football. Like I said, for the three months of not playing under Andre, uh, it was the hardest time ever because I love playing football. And you see, you pay well, you sit on you. Saturday afternoons were, were made for playing football. And I made that decision in hindsight should I have stayed and, and see what happened? Yes, I, I should. Um, but look, I left on good terms. Mauricio came in, I did, did pre season with him, and it was the hardest decision of my career. And I remember driving back down the M25 to my house crying, thinking, am I making the right oh, decision? Um, and it's, it's it's how it is. You, you make them decisions, you got to live by them. It was, was it the wrong one? Yeah, it was, because I ended up getting relegated 12 <laughs> months later with Hull City. Um, but then I got moted with them and it was an unbelievable day in my career to get back to the Premier League. So you have your highs and your lows and you, you've got to stick by a decision. But I remember going back to White Hart Lane, second last game of the season, basically relegating Hull City at the time and yeah, it was it was a hard day. Family were there. And it was it was emotional because we were like all singing said, your name, Mike, weren't we? We were yeah, all was, singing your name. Amazing. It was like I come in home, a, but it was just I know it was yeah. difficult for you because you're a whole city player, but the Spurs yeah. fans are going ballistic for you, like they're in love with you still. It's just, yeah. What was that feeling it like was, for you? That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, it was one of those that I'd never had a chance to be fair, Daniel, when we when I left we we played um Spurs played in Europe on the Thursday and invited me back to sit and I just wasn't in the right emotional state I'd have, I'd have probably been in tears and I said look Daniel thank you I'm, I'm a whole player there'll be a time where I come back and I thank the fans for how good they've been but now I wouldn't have been in the right do you know what I mean I was emotional I, I, I wasn't sure I'd made the right decision and, and like I say to come back at the end of the season when we got relegated it wasn't the time to be thanking the fans I was a whole city player and I'd just been relegated um, and even when we when we left White Hart Lane, um, the club, I was, I was in touch with people and Daniel was, was great to me. He always always said, I'm always welcome. And the final day, we played Crystal Palace at Hull City. We got relegated and I spoke to, uh, I spoke to him and just said, look, my employees, as much as I, wa- I wanted to come to White Hart Lane, it wouldn't be seen right as a professional. Your club has just been relegated with the pain you wages and you play for. I'd had 10 fantastic years at Spurs. It wasn't right. And and, and still, uh, it, it was hard to, 
when I was got back home. Uh, that's what makes you though, Mike, so top class, I, I, mate. I think that's what yeah, makes watched, you I, such I a top class geezer. Yeah, the final farewell at White Hart Lane. Oh. I was watching with the wife, and I was like, wish I was there. But look, mm. you're a player, and, and Hull City was my club at the time, yeah. so it it was still wasn't right right to do. But like I say, Spurs is is a massive part of of my life, my family's life, and and we, like I say, special memories. I mean, I can tell you as a fan and fans of Aria growing up, Mike, you became, like I say, a massive part of our life. And it's one of those things that because we grew so much attached to you as a player, you end up kind of following your career so closely as to where you go. And like I say, when you came back, you know, I, you know it was difficult for you during that time. And like I say, we all wanted you to be there at the, at the fair where we understand where you couldn't be. But it was like, as fans, I think we are still, even to this day, it's kind of one of the things on what we're kind of we're going to discuss with you. We're just so sad that we just haven't had that chance to say goodbye to you properly. And for us, obviously, having you on this show, for us, it's kind of in a way, we, we, we've, we've now had a bit of closure that, you know, we've had to speak to you about so many different subjects. But do you think you will get that chance to kind of come back to Tottenham and have a testimonial? Do you think that time's kind of passed now, Mike? What do you reckon? Look, I, yeah, I, I very much doubt I'll have a testimonial. But one day, I certainly hope to come back to to Spurs. Like I say, it's, it's a big part. My, my son's first shirt was a Spurs shirt. Oh, it's, bless him. It, it's, it's one of those. Yeah. Everyone's a Spurs fan now. The, the, <laughs> the club, how far it's, it's well, gone. That's what I was going to ask you, Mike. Can, can I ask you, I've got yeah. to fit this in because I'm going to bring John in a second. You mentioned Daniel Levy there. And again, Mike, I mean, it sounds like you've got a great relationship with him. Daniel, I mean, amongst fans, you know, he's one of those that it, it, the board very much split opinion in terms of, you know, some fans feel that where Spurs are kind of one or two players away, even during your time there, we mm. haven't quite gone and got those cut of players to really push the club on. And again, some fans are going to think, you know, you're going to probably reference this kind of best stadium in the world. Best training ground. The club is improving and improving since, obviously, you've left. What's your feelings on the board at Tottenham? And how much do you think the club has improved? And has it been a surprise to you to see just where the club has been? I mean, we're only kind of 12, 18 months ago in a Champions League final. What do you think? Yeah, in incredible. Like you say there, Daniel Daniel was, was there when he when he signed me. Um, I had a good relationship with Daniel. He was, he was very open. Uh, and when I left, still had a, a great relationship. With with Daniel on the board, always knew what I, what Spurs meant to me, uh, and and one thing I will say about Daniel is he always he always does what he believes is right for the football club. Even even Saki Mauricio at the time I was thinking, Shuley's in so so much credit, but he could see what was happening, and he made a decision and and went out and got Jose Mourinho. I mean, I love Mourinho Pochettino. Where he took Spurs in that four years of when I left to an elite team, a team that you loved watching, like absolute joy to watch and to play against when the when Spurs beat a 7-1 uh, at the Sorry, KC. That, that, that was an opportunity for myself to to have a little thank you to the fans then because I was over the emotion then, like we'd already been relegated. But that I was playing against Delhi, playing against Harry. I, took, I went into the change room after and seen the lads. It, they were just... They... They were that elite, and Mauricio took that, took the lads to the next level, took the football club to the new stadium, new training ground, best facilities in the world, and then twelve months ago in the Champions League, and that close to winning it, that close. Yes, it's been a backward step over the last twelve months. Um, however, give Jose time; his record speaks for itself. He will win trophies if he has time. Look, with everything that's going on in in the world at the moment, it, it's completely different. No fans. 
Um, he's won trophies wherever he's been. Sometimes it's it's in a different way and a different, obviously, free-flowing that Maurizio had them. But look, got some unbelievable players. Unbelievable. Like, as I say, as a fan now to watch, absolute amazing. So, I can only speak highly of Daniel. I can see why... Um, Fancy he's going to spend all this kind of money and what have you, but he's got a strategy and like I said, everything he does, he does, he does for the the best interest of the football club. Michael, obviously after leaving Spurs, you went on and made 132 appearances for a whole couple of those against Spurs in both the Premier League and the Championship. And in 2018, you rejoined your first club, Nottingham Forest. How is it going for you at Forest? Obviously coming so close to the playoffs last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. And... Look, when, when I left, uh, when I left Hull City, 2018, it, it was. It was full circle where it all started. And like I say, to, to Nottingham Forest to give me the opportunity to start my career, I'll, I'll always be thankful. And end my career, because this is where it'll, it'll, I'm sure it'll be my last club as, as playing at 36. Um, and now working with Sabri Lamucci, great, great guy, great manager. How it ended last season and missing out on the playoffs, I, I spoke to the lads about having an opportunity and, and not missing out. And the way we missed out was, it was heartbreaking. Like, to... We're going into the Stoke game at the end for four or five goal deficit. It was like it was nigh on impossible to miss out, and we did. And that's the lows of football that can bring. It really, I spoke to the lads after, and they're the feelings that when you achieve something, you've got to enjoy it because there's so many lows in football that you, as as fans, we have as players, you've got to enjoy the highs. Uh, because you love them and you enjoy them. So, look, our aim again, the season starts soon. It'll be try and go one better than what, what we did last year. I mean, I think some of the records that we did last year, but just to miss out on and having a, an opportunity to to play in the playoffs was a real, real uh, gut wrenching end to the season. But to see Scotty, another obviously Spurs, Spurs player, and I'd seen him a few weeks before. Delighted for him when when we weren't in it because he's a, he's another good guy and uh, first year as a manager you you wish we some kind of people people well because it's it's not an easy job. Mike, I must ask you as well during your time at Spurs, who was the most underrated sort of dressing room influence? Um, do you know what you got, you you're talking about the Paul Tieris, uh, Timu Tianyos, Timu was an absolute great character. He was he was the lovable rogue he was. He was brilliant. He was a breath of fresh air. And, and when he played, he played wholehearted. Wow, did he put his body on the line. He tackled, he moaned. Um, but look, I was good friends with, with, with Timo. I loved him. Great, great wife and kids. I think his lads at, at Spurs, or he was. Um, but great, great characters, players that you think there that were start of where we're, we're on the up. Um, Doors, Berber. I've got to ask you about Berber quickly. Has anyone ever had a better first touch than that? Berber's talent was Mm. absolutely... The ball coming over his shoulder, absolutely beautiful. Was it true, Mike? He used to walk in in the morning. Did he not always say hello to some of the guys there? He used to walk in in the morning just... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Berber Berber was a very quiet, kept himself to himself. He always used to dress to impress her. He always looked slick. I thought, well, where's he going? He used to go over to his flat, but he just, the way, way he carried himself, he was that kind of, of guy. He had, he had big, big self-belief, but he, his touches. Another, another Spurs legend and, and another icon and world-class player that, one of many that's, that's played for, for the Fabulous Football Club. And Michael, lastly, I must ask you, 
who was the best player that you played with during your time at Tottenham? And you can only name one. Look, I, I've, I've spoke about Ledley. Ledley is, is the king. He's everything about the football club. I spoke, I wouldn't have had the Spurs career had I not had him alongside me. Luka Modric, uh, Aaron Lennon playing so many games, Jermaine Defoe, Berbatov, Harry Kane is a young play, like player at the time, see him now. But I just think Gaz, I just think Gaz Bale, uh, for what he's gone on to achieve winning Champions League, and he could win a game on his own. It's just, I just think for, for that, I have to say Gaz, because he could run past people like he was playing in the playground at times. Well, we all seen it with a mic on game in, in, in Milan. It was just... So I think Gaz, just because he's what he's gone on to achieve and can win a game on his own. And I never mentioned Robbie Keane, who, who, who I say I was probably like legend when he took me out. And, and like I say, he always always looked after me when, we, uh, when he was organising something. And he, he, he sort of kept the team spirit together uh, of of what makes a, a proper captain, along with 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 Ledley. So, like I say, been having nearly ten years at the fabulous football club. I played with some absolute legend, and like I say, I, I was uh, I've always been very fortunate. I've always realised how lucky I've been, uh, and and to speak about them kind of players, always thankful. Mike, I promise you this is the last question. We're going to let you go because you're in training tomorrow. No pressure. Um, Double session tomorrow. It's training season. <laughs> Last question, but I promise you, your favourite Spurs memory. You've said favourite player. What's your favourite Spurs memory in what was nearly 10 years at the club, nearly a decade for you? What's the one standout moment or highlight for you? Wow, I've just spoke to you for an hour and a half and told you only a bit. I mean, you talk about the 5-1 in the semi, the Inter Milan. I think... Obviously, we won the we won the league cup in two thousand eight. I didn't play. I think getting to the Champions League, beating Man City, yeah. having what we'd done before that night, um, just because we sort of achieved. Yes, winning winning something is always the best feeling. We always we all want one thing. You as fans, you want to win win a trophy. No better feeling lifting it. But I think that night, uh, scoring my first goal. Look, I'd probably go with Man City just because it it, it gave us something for what we could build on and go and have those special nights. There you go. The wonderful Michael Dawson. They say out there, be careful. You don't always want to meet your heroes or speak to your heroes. I can tell you, Michael, you've been an absolute gent to speak to. It's been an absolute honour to have you on the last word on Spurs. I know John probably going to echo those sentiments as well. It's been amazing to have Michael share his Spurs journey with us. Guys, thank you. Yeah, you've been absolutely phenomenal, mate. Yeah, honestly, Mike. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Honestly, the wonderful Michael Dawson on the last word on Spurs. How quick time goes. I look back when the, uh, I remember the, the day I signed, uh, or should I say night, at about 5 to 12 on, on deadline day 2005, January. It was, it was quite remarkable. Uh, I remember it as if it was yesterday. And I also remember uh, the great games we've had. Uh, also, the not so great games. And, and football, what a game. It's, it gives you the biggest highs, but it also can give you the biggest lows. Genius. And the header from Dawson. And Tottenham are level. He climbed well. He sprang brilliantly. And put the header into the back of the net. And Tottenham are level. Green came for it and was nowhere. Arriving with Reedy. Uh, we sat at, the, sat at the hotel waiting for, for things to develop. And thankfully, everything was agreed with. We go down to, 
to Spurs Lodge Luxbury Lane. Walking in, walking to the AV room. AV room means nothing to other people probably. Seeing Chris Hewton in there, Martin Yol, uh, Frank Arneson and just unbelievable. And then you go for your medical. Uh, came back, we had a few problems with that. And then finally, uh, we finally get signed at, on deadline date, 5 to 12. It was it was just unreal. And then you, I went back to the hotel, stayed there. And then it's it's now look look for a place to live. Uh, get used to the surroundings where you, you're going to be living and, and get used to being in uh, in with the lads, training on a regular basis and, and moving to a, a massive football club, uh, playing in the Premier League. The highest that football can give you and the lows certainly gives me personally when you when you lose a football match and you, and you go over it and you have to wait two weeks till the next game it's it's a long two weeks I think the first three days when when I wake up I think oh, we've lost that game when you win it everything just seems to take care of itself but but it's football it's why, why everyone loves it yeah. and you've got to earn the right to win great header and a terrific goal from the centre-back Dawson with a perfect header that any striker would be proud of. It's unlike Chelsea, Allen. They do not give many of these away. Drogba's marking him. The ball's flat. He can't attack it. It's a brilliant header. It's a good ball from Genus. Drogba can do nothing about it. And nor can Ilaria. It's a great football club to be at. Um, I love being here. Uh, I love the fans. love the welcome that when I, uh, when I first arrived, uh, I received. And from then, Gone on to play with some world-class players, none less than Ledley, as you've mentioned, learned an awful lot of him. Uh, and took the armband once he retired, and as I say, it's a, it's a massive honour to, to be captain of this football club. And the 5-1 against Arsenal, uh, my debut against Liverpool at Anfield, then memories will, will be with me for life. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.